This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is the very best bits of today's show. It's a Friday, the 23rd of February. And we're going to jump straight into our theme this morning, which is the booming Dubai economy. And yeah, okay, you're thinking, yeah, okay, Dubai economy booming last year, real estate, blah, blah, blah. But this week, it does seem to have reached something of a crescendo. We've got record profits from Fly Dubai. Over the past 24 hours, we've got FedEx spending a billion and a half dirhams on a hub for half the world here in Dubai and so on. So we're going to look at the details of that. We're going to get the thoughts of Jean Walters, economist at Emirates MBD, and then going to speak to some of the business leaders driving this forward. First of all, Gaith Algaith, CEO, Fly Dubai, joins us in the studio talking about last year, which was great. More importantly, he wants to double the size of Fly Dubai over the next five years. And most important of all, he thinks Arsenal are going to win the Premier League. And he's a big Arsenal fan, so that matters. And more seriously, we then spoke to Cami Viswanathan from FedEx, regional boss. And when I say region, she's based in Dubai. Her region covers the Middle East. Africa to the west and all of the Indian subcontinent to the east. That's about three and a half billion people. And they've chosen to put their regional hub for this operation here in Dubai. It's a big deal. One and a half billion dirhams. Cammy's been speaking to Tom about it. And then finally, I love this one, Professor Dame Heather McGregor talking about Japan. Why? Well, this week, finally, the Japanese stock market returned to the levels last seen in the late 1980s, the Nikkei stock market index up at 39,000 points. We're speaking to Dame Heather because back in the 90s, she was a stockbroker in Japan, so she knows it well. That's where she started writing her famous Financial Times column, Mrs. Moneypenny, which went on for about 20 years or so. Now her day job is Provost and Vice Principal of Harriet Watt University's Dubai campus, and she joins us in the studio to talk about Japan. All of that to come. First up, though, Dubai economy, it's on fire. It's a busy one. And we are keeping a close eye. We, uh, being myself, Richard Dean, and the rest of the team on the Dubai economy, uh, because all the indicators pointing in the right direction. Uh, are we being overly optimistic? Don't think we are. It's just booming at the moment. Remember the date. What is it? 23rd of February. Things are absolutely flying, literally. For example, record numbers from Fly Dubai. Over the past 24 hours or so, 2.1 billion dirhams in profit. Gaithal Gaith, CEO of Fly Dubai, has been in the Dubai Eye studio. This is what he had to tell us about the fact that, yeah, Fly Dubai is an airline. As a chief executive, you bask in the glory when you make record profits. But he is under no illusions that it is the city that's behind it. Uh, we live and work in the most amazing place in the whole universe, and that's Dubai. And to uh, see the recovery that happened uh, to Dubai and how Dubai have uh, diversified to become a global, truly a global city, is, is what made it for us. So we got Fly Dubai record profits. You've just been speaking to the guys at FedEx who've invested one and a half billion dirhams in a new cargo hub up at Dubai World Central. That's not a small change, is it? It's not a small change, um, and it's not a small organisation. It's an international organisation uh, with an international reputation to uphold. And therefore, them investing not small amounts of change and chunks of change into certain geographies 
uh, doesn't go unnoticed. Um, and that's exactly what's that. And it sort of blends into a lot of what we've been hearing throughout the course. Of, I mean, Friday is an opportunity for us to look back on the week that was in many ways. Uh, we had the team from Knight Frank on uh, earlier this week. Um, uh, Andy Love was in, uh, in studio with us. And one of the things he said really struck with me when you were discussing all things property with him. And we got to talk... The reason he came in was to talk about the Pepsi factory, the Pepsi bottling factory, and what they were going to do with it. Those The, the, the sales numbers have been included in the earnings this year, and therefore it had brought focus on it. And it got us... Uh, the reason they, they sold their old plot on Shakespeare Road is because they got this new plot up in DIP, Dubai Investment Park, or Dubai Production City, one of the two. Dubai Investment Park, yeah. And we were talking to him about that. And he said, well, you can't get a plot there anymore. They're sold out, you know. And if you're trying to get a plot there, you can't get one for love and money or you're paying over the odds. And that sort of made me... It was one of those moments this week when you stand up and go, what? Out there? Um, And it sort of feeds into this whole growth of... And we've been hearing about it a lot. You know, Dubai South is going to be the next big thing. Everyone head towards Dubai South. That's where that's where we're going to be. There's a, there's an airport there already. There's infrastructure. They've built a thing um, called Expo. You know, there's all sorts going on. There's a metro line that goes out that way as well. And suddenly you're starting to see not just evidence of that, but cold, hard evidence. Again, we're up there next week. Um, we've been talking about investments in there today with the FedEx investment, property investments out that way as well. It's very easy to become very centralised and very focused on all things DIFC and go, oh, look, there's people, there's a queuing, uh, there's a queue at Zuma and you can't get a table for love and the money and therefore Dubai must be booming. Look out there. That's a good indicator. It's a great indicator. So many that Dubai is is absolutely booming at the moment. But we want to get an economist's view of it. Are we getting carried away here with all this anecdotal evidence? Flurry of deals, for example, down at, at Gulf Food today. Whichever industry sector you look at, it's all happening. Here's John Walters. She's the senior economist at Emirates MBD. So we asked her, take the emotion out of it. Look at the data. What do the numbers tell us about Dubai now and going forward? Both Dubai and the UAE more broadly saw robust activity in non-oil sector growth over the course of 2023. For Dubai in particular, that growth has been driven by sectors like transport and storage, as well as food and accommodation. Growth in those sectors is consistent with the solid results from Fly Dubai seen yesterday, as well as with official data showing that tourist numbers are back above pre-pandemic levels, having grown just under 20% year-on-year in 2023. While we wouldn't necessarily expect to see tourist number growth remaining at these very high levels in 2024, there is still scope for the sector to contribute positively in 2024, especially if Chinese tourism rebounds. Anecdotally, other unofficial measures such as private school enrollment growth and postpaid mobile phone subscriptions also point to strong population growth in 2023, which will have supported growth in the Emirate over the course of the past year. Furthermore, we'd also expect both government and foreign direct investment to continue to support growth in the Emirate into 2024. Sean Walters. One thing I'll add, one final thought as well I'll add into it. We were talking to John Lyons about this yesterday, and he came up with a really good point about the property market. And again, look, there's an industry that's booming at the moment. It's not indicative there of, of, of growth, but it's, it's, it's something you can throw into the melting pot. And one thing he said, you know, he said, People just love to pick things, pick holes in industry, especially the property market. He said, for as long as I've been here, people have been out there going, told you so, right, this, that's gonna, the, the bubble's going to burst, this is going to fall, that's going to fall. He said, you know what, it's not. 
And as much as we scramble around for evidence that it will, we can't find anything at the moment. And he he was almost sort of imploring this whole thing and said there was a bit of a shift where people had constantly looking to peg things back in the property market here. But it's very difficult to find facts and figures to see any indication of that. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Right, let's get more on that top story now. Fly Dubai record profit, 2.1 billion dirhams. Gaith Al Gaith is the CEO with us in the studio. Good morning, Gaith and Mabrouk. Hey, thank you. So, 2.1 billion dirhams. Tell us the story of how you got there. Well, I mean, um, we we got there uh, basically because uh, we live and work in the most amazing place in the whole universe, and that is Dubai. And to uh, see the recovery that happened uh, to Dubai and how Dubai have uh, diversified to become a global, truly a global city, is is what made it for us. Uh, of course, uh, the leadership of His Highness Sheikh Ahmed uh, bin Saeed, first of all, navigating us uh, through the COVID crisis, and then uh, planning and executing to grow and double uh, our fleet now is twice as big uh, before COVID, what I think uh, a key issue. And the third, of course, um, the resilience, hardworking uh, staff uh, th- th- that we have that m- managed to, to do this, capitalize on, on these two factors. Uh, of course, without them, we are nothing. So where do you where do you go from here? You've doubled the fleet, profits at a record. Is it simply a case of adding more destinations? We know, for example, you've not only got more 737 planes on order, but also the Dreamliner as well. So what does the next phase of Fly Dubai look like? Well, well definitely that is uh, the headline of our next phase, which is uh, the, the 787. We are grateful to the trust uh, that the uh, owners, the, shake, uh, the s- stakeholders, the shareholders uh, would in Fly Dubai to trust us to go to that next phase. And uh, we are all very excited uh, uh, to do that. Um, of course, having the 787 and creating a bigger map uh, to cover for the airline gives us a huge opportunity. Uh, we will double again, I am sure, in the next five years uh, as an airline or just about that. Uh, so we'll continue to grow. There are more p- places uh, to sort of cover and I'm very confident also the brand Dubai will continue uh, to grow and attract uh, more people, resident, uh, be it uh, people who will come here for uh, many reasons. And I'm also excited uh, to see the rest uh, of uh, the region are getting the bug of Dubai. They want to be like us. They want to be us. And by that, uh, I think there will be a lot of opportunity for the whole region uh, to be stronger and more people will visit. This is business uh, for us in the airline. So in terms of doubling, to what extent will that be adding extra capacity on existing routes? And to what extent will it be new routes? And if, and, if it, and some of it, of course, will be new routes. Where will they be? Are we going to be going west to Europe and Africa, east into Asia, further afield? I mean, it, it depends on where, what is the best opportunity that comes for us. And I, as I said, by having the 787, now the uh, the, the reach uh, of the airline will be more than 10 hours. Of course, uh, we will focus on the area within a 10-hour radius uh, from, from Dubai. 
And that alone uh, gives you to think that we work within a six-hour radius for the last 15 years, and now uh, we fly over like 125 destinations and carrying 13.3 million and growing, then that scope uh, to go to a bigger uh, radius is, is alone. There are certain things that uh, will make uh, our firm plan clearer as we move on because the opportunity is huge. Uh, f- for example, tomorrow we have a break in uh, aeropolitical uh, issues because you know one of the biggest hurdles for us is not everywhere is uh, open for us to fly. For example, let's say China, uh, we have an open sky policy with China, uh, with the United Arab Emirates, which means that we can go to so many places in China or India. Let's not go there, uh, uh, have an open sky with us. We will probably go to 20 destinations more in India. Any any prospects of that, of a breakthrough, particularly in India? Well, again, you you know, as far as we are uh, concerned, uh, we work hard to uh, firm up our uh, position and our need. It's a relationship between uh, the, the governments and each governments uh, always try to do the best for their country. So in India, if the, an open sky, for example, with the United Arab Emirates is not something uh, they would have now, they have their own reason. So we continue to promote and uh, um, highlight why this is good for us and hopefully good for, for them too. Let's talk about some of the challenges you faced. Fuel is quite expensive, $80 a barrel. And of course, the issues with the 737 MAX just this week, Ed Clark leaving Boeing. He was heading up the 737 MAX program. I'm sure it's a, a person you know well. What's the message about the 737 MAX? Well, look, uh, the uh, Boeing, uh, probably the greatest aviation uh, in this uh, company uh, ever created. Yes, they are going through challenges and um, they have to live up uh, to that uh, to, to that name. I am personally, as Raith, confident that Boeing will get it right. They always do. Now, as, as, as far as uh, the fuel is concerned, of course, uh, one of our success stories uh, or, or headline that people will not notice is that uh, our fuel burn uh, has improved. And with the 737, um, we are getting almost like 14% uh, less uh, fuel burn uh, versus the uh, the NGs. For us, th- th- that's fantastic. And especially, it's a good um, to have to maneuver through the challenges, especially that uh, we are concerned, of course, about the environment and we want to do be more responsible uh, f- for the environment. So to, to have aircraft that will give you this uh, is good. Again, going up to the 787, we will have more efficient aircraft uh, so that would also will tackle the issue with fuel. Ten hours would get you to London, Gaith, where your beloved Arsenal Football Club have been doing this for fun in recent weeks, Tom. Udegaard, this is excellent! And Arsenal are in here! Great opportunity! Alisson says, Saka! Scores for Arsenal! Bukayo Saka on the rebound! And the Gunners have the lead! Tom, what do you reckon? Arsenal are going to win the league this year. Gaith, a big fan. The man is standing along, uh, sitting alongside me. Of course, they're in the box suit, are they not, Gaith? Yes, we, we we got rice. And thank you, West Ham, <laughs> for giving us rice. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, very hopeful this year uh, we'll do it. So we'll, we'll come back and celebrate here, can we? 
You please do come back and celebrate here. If Arsenal win the Premier League trophy, we'll get it in the Dubai Eye studio for you. Thank you. Well, there are one of three uh, English football clubs chasing the Premier League at the moment. So we wish you the best of luck with that. More seriously, we wish you the best of luck in doubling Fly Dubai over the next five years or so. Record profits, 2.1 billion dirhams. Congratulations. Gaithal Gates, CEO of Fly Dubai to you and the team. Well, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, it's great to live the moment and be with you. I, uh, it's my first time in a new studio. So thank you very much. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. A couple of days ago, we got news through of FedEx's latest significant investment uh, into the region. A 1.3 billion dirham, what's that equate to? Just over $353 million investment into a modern air and ground hub at Dubai World Central Airport in the Dubai South area. Uh, Kami Fiswanathan is the Mesa president for FedEx Express. Kami, kind enough to join us live on the uh, Microsoft Teams this morning. Kami, thank you so much indeed for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Extraordinary investment into the region. What does this, uh, not just the financial, but also the physical investment into DWC, into Dubai South, what does it signify for FedEx's intentions here in the region? Sure. Um, So we're very excited about the launch of our new hub at Dubai South uh, at DWC Airport. Um, So uh, as you said, the investment is not just about the physical uh, hub itself, uh, which itself is state of the art in terms of the technology that it, 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 it has, as well as the sustainability features. But I think what this hub represents in the FedEx network and for our ability to connect the region and, and the larger MISA uh, ter- territory with the FedEx network is, I think, what we're really excited about. Um, we see tremendous growth in the UAE and uh, in Dubai, and um, there is a lot of trade potential for foreign trade. So um, exports uh, are slated to, uh, I, I think, hit $545 billion by 2030. And um, with the push towards diversification and different industry verticals, um, and, 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 you know, imports and exports, um, we, we think this hub will enable businesses in the region to connect with the larger FedEx network. And um, we have um, uh, 58 weekly flights from uh, Dubai connecting with nine FedEx gateways in the U.S., EU and, and Asia. And uh, businesses have the ability now to uh, reach all of these regions within uh, two to three business days. Uh, depending on which region you're talking about. Um, and, and I think given that Dubai is is, uh, is very central between East and West and also one of the largest uh, re-export hubs globally and the push towards uh, the economic zones and um, the multimodal connectivity that Dubai offers, uh, we also think that um, it, this hub will, will serve as, a, as, a, as an enabler for global trade. Uh, not just for trade from the region and and into the region. It's interesting. At the moment, obviously, we can't talk about a single industry out there, so none more so than global logistics, uh, that are being impacted positively by uh, all things technology. AI, one of the buzzwords in business and industry, uh, the world over at the moment. I'm assuming that given the fact that this is a new investment, a new build, a modern air and ground hub, if you like, that you're going to be able to utilise some of those great state-of-the-art innovations as well to improve efficiency. Absolutely. Um, so this this hub has automated sorting systems. 
uh, which enable greater throughput, uh, greater efficiency, more reliability for packages passing through the hub. It also has um, a high-speed X-ray screening equipment, which uses artificial intelligence, which again ensures greater compliance as well as security and efficiency. And our um, the green features that we have in the facility as well, as well as some of the, the cold chain features and the dangerous goods capability, I think all of this put together offer, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of innovative capabilities for our, um, uh, our customers. And, uh, you know, from a sustainability point of view, for example, uh, you know, not only is this hub compliant with the Dubai municipality green standard, but also um, has a, a one megawatt solar power um, uh, project, which will generate 40% of the energy required by this facility. And when we don't use that 40% fully, the, the excess uh, energy generated will go into the Dubai uh, grid. Can we got to leave it there? Really, thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Congratulations uh, on this investment uh, and evidence of a long-term commitment to the region, a long-term investment in the region as well. Kami Viswanathan, the Mesa president for FedEx Express, reflecting on their latest investment into the Dubai World Central Airport in Dubai South. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. So, as we mentioned, finally, after a 34-year wait, the Japanese stock market is back to the peaks of the late 1980s. Joining us in the studio to discuss this is Professor Dame Heather McGregor, Provost and Vice Principal of Harriet Watt University, Dubai campus. Morning, Heather. Good morning. The reason you're here is not because of your great work at the university. It's because back in the 1990s, you worked as a stockbroker in Tokyo. So you were there during the bad times. Professor McGregor has been DJ this morning, and this is the song she chose as her Japanese walk-on music. First up, let's start in the here and now. Record highs again for the Japanese stock market. What's propelled it there over the past year or two? Well, first of all, I think that we continue to have very loose monetary policy. They've got negative interest rates in Japan. So, um, you know, nobody nobody wants to hold the currency. But again, that means that exports are very cheap. So all the companies in Japan that export are making money hand over fist. Companies like, and you, you said, just look out the window. Look uh, out the window, Toyota. Um, you know, every Dubai taxi is a Toyota. T- Toyota, you know, is absolutely dominant in the world. And, you know, not only do they, are they successful, but they've also got very high quality standards. So it's not like they're flogging us lots of cheap cars. But that's Japan for you. You know, they do things well. They do them at scale. Um, it's pretty boring what they do, but they do it well. How important is the currency? Because it's 150 yen to the dollar today so that the yen is weak and the dollar and the dirham is strong this time last year it was 134 yen so even though the past year the yen has weakened significantly Mm. but when you lived there back in the 1990s it was what it was 100 it was 100 it made the maths very easy you know you basically handed over a dollar you got 100 yen so you thought of every 100 yen note as a dollar note um I think the, what you have to remember, though, is what's been happening. You know, we're talking about the Nikkei at 39,000. But last year, in 2023, the market actually, you know, went up 25%. 
So the whole of, if you'd held Japan, Inc., at the beginning of 2023, um, you would have, you would have, by the end of the year, you would have 25% up. I mean, nobody would have called that. Well, the only person who did call it, of course, was Warren Buffett in, in the spring of last year when he went very big on five Japanese stocks. But most people would not have said that if you'd held Japanese stocks over 2023 that you'd have made a 25% return on your money. But why has it taken Japan so long? I mean, the S&P 500, the American stock market over the past 34 year, four years, has gone through the roof. It was about 300 points back in the late 1980s. Now it's at 5,000. Japan has only just caught up with itself. Why the difference? Well, despite 125 million people, you know, the US has got, what, 300 million people, something like that, 350 million people. Um, the And there's a huge domestic market there. You know, there's a you sell stuff in, in America, you can sell tons of it to people in America. People in Japan don't like buying stuff. They just don't like it. They save money. They save money like you wouldn't believe. So there's 125 million people, they're not buying anything. And they're putting the money under the bed. They're certainly not putting it in the bank because the bank is offering negative interest rates. So they're definitely not putting it in the bank. Or they're putting it into dollars, which is only making the currency situation even worse. Let's talk about your time there. So in 1998, you, you went there to work as a stockbroker and you worked there for several years running a very large stockbroking operation. But also at the time, that's when you started writing for the Financial Times, the famous Miss Money Penny column. You've written not one but two books about Japan, one of them in Japanese. Mm. Well, the, the, the time I started writing, writing my column in Mrs. Moneypenny from Japan. The FT rang up and said that they uh, wanted a column about um, how difficult it was to be a woman in the workplace. You know, this was still going on in 1999. And I said, look, I didn't find it that difficult to be a woman in the workplace. What I found difficult, frankly, was running backwards and forwards with with small children and work and taking people to school in Japan when you couldn't understand the road signs. And, you know, going to live in Japan is the next closest experience that any of us will have to landing on Mars. It is so alien. And, um, and I was trying to struggle with that. I wasn't struggling with being a woman. So they said, OK, fine, write about that every week. So every week I wrote about what I found strange in Japan and how difficult I was, co- how I was coping with it. Um, and that, that, that turned out to be, you know, a 16-year exercise. But that initial phase of writing from Japan was a thing. The net present value of handbags was something I learned in Japan that you you could buy a Hermes bag and it would cost you more than a new one. A second-hand one would cost you more than a new one because a new one had a five-year waiting list and the net present value of possession was so high that you had to pay more for a second-hand one. You also wrote a careers book. You've got a copy of it today. Do you want to hold it up to the camera that's in front of you if people are watching on TV? Yeah. So here's my careers book in Japanese because there are lots of career women in Japan and Japan has got just as many careers. And if anybody actually emails me at the university, I'll send them a copy of this in English. Um, uh, but I but I also you know wrote a, a book about um, my Financial Times Collins in Japan. Let, let's remember also when... When the stock market crashed in Japan, you know, after the earthquake and the tsunami, you know, that was when the whole market went down to nine, so if, to nine thousand yen and below, nine eight thousand yen. You know, so it, it, there have been some very challenging times in Japan since I left. But it seems to be—is it back? Back where it once was, because back in the 1980s, of course, it was the the, the all-conquering global economy. It's still what the world's number three economy, isn't it? 
It is. And, and you know, if you can pull off some stint like Warren Buffett, you, you can make a lot of money out of it. Do you know what he actually did? He went and borrowed money in yen, okay, So which, which as we've just agreed, cost nothing, and then bought five of the biggest trading companies in Japan, all of which pay a 5% a year dividend. So this is not difficult mathematics. You pay nothing to borrow the money, and then you get 5% a year. And this is a straight arbitrage bet. I think that the, the signal, though, that things might be turning is the fact that the Bank of Japan have said that they are worried about the currency. And if the currency appreciation or depreciation, really, if the if it keeps going and we end up with, you know, 160, 170 uh, to the dollar, I think that they might step in and raise interest rates. And that would be a strong signal because, I mean, they've had a technical recession in Japan. The last two quarters of last year were, uh, you know, they went backwards, not by much, but they did have a technical recession. So it's not all sunny in the garden. What you're betting on are big companies doing well exporting. Uh, I saw you arrive today in the car park, driving your company car, not a Japanese car. If there's one Japanese product that you could or indeed still do buy from your time there, what is it? Uh, that's my company car. And because I work for a British university, it's a British made car. Uh, personally, at home, I drive a Toyota. <laughs> Dame Heather, I haven't asked you, you got your Damehood a couple of weeks ago back in the United Kingdom. I did, yes. I got, a, I got a very large medal and then you get a sheriff's badge as an extra for being a Dame. So you get, you get pinned, two things get pinned on you um, by uh, the Princess Royal, Princess Anne, who was wearing her Admiral's uniform that I think was made for her when she was 30. And she asked me whether I liked living in Dubai. Um, and I said, I loved it. I've, I was finding it strange to be, still be in a full-time job at my age. But then I looked at her and I thought, you're 73. You're wearing clothes that you could still wear 30 years ago. You're working full-time. Who am I to talk? Professor Dame Heather McGregor of Harriet Watt University, thank you. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.